0: Comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Mr. Stark. Yeah? Agent Colson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy from the... Uh, strategic hmm. Homeland Intervention right, Enforcement yeah. Logistics Division. Can I get, can you get a new name for that? Yeah, I hear that a lot. That's being handled. That's what we do. Just call us shoot. Every day, guys, I wake up and I think, I'm one day closer. I'm one day closer to a new TV show. I'm one day closer to a new movie. It's so exciting to be a Marvel fan these days. Hey, everybody. I am Brad. I'm here with... Russell Latham, and Ken Morgan. How are you guys doing?
1: Good. Fantastic, Brad. How are you?
0: Uh, well, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I think of is, I can't wait for fall, because that means more S.H.I.E.L.D. It means I'm even closer to more movies the next year. I'm just so excited. This is episode 30 of It's All Connected, and we are here to talk about, it's our second part of our uh Marvel movie... What do they call it? Cinematic Universe connections and the Easter eggs and how they're all fit together like gloves.
1: You know, I woke up the other morning and I thought to myself, I can say that Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. returns this month. September 23rd? Yes. Yeah. It's coming. I'm excited. I Every, every, I mean, every time I see something new, I get more and more excited. And I even saw... Somebody posted online some uh, footage he shot from his like apartment balcony where they were shooting uh, a location shot for Marvel's Agents of Shield, and there was a cool shot of uh, Absorbing Man.
0: I uh, nice. I got really excited to hear that Absorbing Man was gonna be in Shield. That's just there's something about that character that that always has fascinated me, and just. I don't consider him a C-level villain. I think he's more like a B-level villain because, you know, you got uh, Marshmallow Man. He's a C-level villain. But when you have somebody like Absorbing Man who can basically turn himself into anything that he touches, that's pretty heavy duty. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with that.
1: I'm I'm thinking this also is going to, uh, in reference to a conversation that we had on our previous show, uh, definitively separate. Uh, Ang Lee's Hulk from The Incredible Hulk from the MCU because uh this is clearly not uh Banner's father being the Absorbing Man because that that is who we believe that's what happened to uh Banner's father he that's who he became, was Absorbing Man correct
0: Well he sure uh he sure appeared to be yep. uh that guy he sure appeared to have the same powers and abilities as Absorbing Man right uh you know I don't remember if anybody said look at he's absorbing the Surface he's touching, or you know, goofy stuff like that. But, uh, I think no, I, it was pretty clear. I, yeah, I think after watching it, we all kind of went, that, "That was Absorbing Man, wasn't it?" Yeah. He really needs a new name, yeah. but we'll go with Absorbing Man. Absorbitron, absorberation, the Absolbaneda, <laughs> the sponge. So where do we pick up this week? We ended with uh, Iron Man Two last time, right?
1: We did. We did. What's next? Indeed.
0: What's next? What happened next in the Marvel um, movie
1: history? Well, the way, the way that movie ended, the very last scene was uh, Coulson finding the hammer. So I believe we were heading off to New Mexico, the land of enchantment, uh, for Thor.
0: Splendid. Yep. What would Thor say? He wouldn't say splendid. He would say... Verily. Uh, verily, verily, I say unto thee, have at it. Whatever. I don't have remember. at thee. Have at thee. So how do we start our Thor discussion? We start from the very beginning, a very good place we, to start.
2: Yes, the very good place to start. Um,
0: Thank you, Julie Andrews.
2: So at the beginning, we start in Tonsberg, Norway, uh, 965 AD, where the Frost Giants have uh, invaded Earth. And uh, they make it seem like this is a time when Asgardians and, and other members of the Nine Realms seem to kind of bleed over each other more frequently than... They did at some point, um, or at so, some point in the future. Tonsberg, Norway is a very interesting location. Uh, we didn't know it at the time when Thor was released, but when just a few months later in Captain America the Winter Soldier, or <laughs> Captain America the Winter Soldier, when Captain America the First Avenger was released, uh, that movie in the beginning started, started, uh, in Tonsberg, Norway as well. Uh, and it turns out that, uh, it must have had some significance. Uh, other than just being kind of home of Norse mythology, obviously, um, but that's where the Tesseract was left on Earth. Uh, Odin, uh, I guess, felt that that was the best place to hide it on Earth, um, kind of away from everybody. And I, I guess maybe the thinking was, as humans kind of moved away from believing in mythology and gods and uh, you know things like that, that nobody would even come looking for it. That it would be it would be in a fairly safe place.
1: Yeah, we really don't know how it got there. Um, I speculated when I was l- watching Captain America, and we can talk about that again later. Was, you know, was it left there from this battle, like inadvertently? Was it hid hidden there? Was it already there? And is that why the Frost Giants raided that particular location because they were after it? It could have been a any number of things. It's not very clear. Um, we just know that it is, in fact, the same little town in Norway that both of these things happen in.
2: Yes. Um. It's funny when I don't know about you, Ken, but I thought you know after the last episode it was a little long. I thought, well, we laid a lot of groundwork. We you know covered a lot of a lot of things on these connections that it probably wasn't going to be that that this this episode probably wouldn't be quite as long. And uh, as I was rewatching the movies again and making my notes, I seem to have ha- have a lot more notes on these three movies than I probably did on you know on the, on the others
1: that didn't happen to me although i agree with you i thought the same the same thing and it really wasn't until we get to earth and get to shield that we start getting the uh the bigger connections in fact i in my notes here i've got yep the you know tonesburg norway and uh of you know sif when she's in battle um, on jotunheim which is you know quite a while or like a, probably within the first you know third of the movie there's not a lot going on while they're in asgard that points us into the rest of the uh the m c u which which makes sense too um but it's not until we get back to earth and Thor's exile the way, that I see us really getting some uh, some big hits right, but you've got a few things from when the frost giants uh tried to steal the casket of eternal winter or cas- casket of ancient winters uh, you saw a few things in there right
2: yeah so in the, the weapons vault? In this yeah they kind of show it a couple times the weapons vault. Uh, what they refer to as the Weapons Vault. And one of the things I noticed after the latest rewatch, um, having seen Guardians of the Galaxy, is that the Weapons Vault had a similar look and feel to the area where they kept the um, uh, the the gem in Guardians of the Galaxy, like that the Nova Corps' um, similar vault kind of had that same cube-like look, um, on the walls that the weapons vault in Thor had. I don't know if you guys picked that up at all.
1: No, I I, I was wondering what you meant by that note, and I saw that... Uh, I didn't put that together when I saw Guardians, no. Interesting.
2: Yeah. Um, Doing a little bit of digging, I also came across... Uh, And I, I did a lot of pausing and, and things like that, and just looking at set... Photos, uh, production photos and stuff. One of the items in there, in the weapons vault, apparently, is the Eternal Flame, and that's something that Surtur used, uh, or would use, to ignite his sword, which would begin Ragnarok, which is the, the, you know, kind of the ending of the cycle of the gods, where, where they would be destroyed and at some point come back and be reborn. So I, I think the Bangles cool.
0: wrote a song about that.
2: They, they, they did.
1: They, they, they did. They, that's exactly what the. What the song was about? Yes,
2: yes. Um, of course, w- the one thing that we've uh, you know known about since that time, since this movie came out, even probably like Comic Con, like before the movie came out, um, was the Infinity Gauntlet, and uh, a lot of speculation on the Infinity Gauntlet um, at that time. And I, I kind of have a bit of a uh, this is like speculation on the Infinity Gauntlet. So in the in the comics, the Infinity Gauntlet. You put the Infinity Gems, little stones, inside the Gauntlet and then wield great power. Uh, I wonder if maybe in the in the Marvel universe, because we know the Infinity Gauntlet is coming. Uh, we've seen so as much at Comic Con last year. Josh Boland came out and actually put the Gauntlet on. Um, but I wonder, since since the, these Infinity Stones take different sizes, shapes, and appearances, where you know the Tesseract is a cube and the Ether is kind of this mist and uh, if if the gem in Loki's stick is one, uh, you know, that's a, a, of a certain size. And, of course, the, the gem from Guardians of the Galaxy, which I guess is probably most closely uh, the right size to fit in there. But I wonder if you assembled all of the stones that the gauntlet would basically be able to absorb that energy and use it in the gauntlet. Like, basically, the gauntlet is a receptacle for, for all of the, that combined energy, and maybe that's how they'll get around uh, you know, the comic version of just putting the stones inside the gem, or in the, in the gauntlet itself.
1: Yeah, I, I'm looking at this from a little more practical uh, or like outside of the, like, a fourth wall kind of way. I'm wondering if the fact that the Infinity Gauntlet was in there at all was one of those hey, wouldn't it be cool if that was in there without really thinking that that's where they were going, and now they got to back their way back into this? Um, because, considering what they are yeah. doing, it doesn't seem like that's where it should have been although they've done things to indicate that like, to make it work like like all, all the Avengers one of the speculations of the Avengers was Loki's end goal was to return to Asgard so that he could steal the Infinity Gauntlet and get it to, to Thanos. That may not be true I don't know.
0: If memory serves Right. And, and, it, and I don't recall noticing it in the theater but I think I've seen screenshots and it's been a while since I've seen this movie but didn't Didn't it appear that the gauntlet had glowing stones on it when it was in that?
1: Yeah, that's what I recall, and that's kind of why I was thinking the thought I did was that they stuck themselves and then they got it back into it.
0: I wonder if I wonder if if and like I said, it's been a while, so memory doesn't doesn't work. But uh, I wonder if it was just a trick of the light that made it look like it was glowing. I mean, I'd have to go back and look at the actual still or the the movie, and, and to notice they. I don't remember them being bright because I think that would have drawn a lot of attention to the to the uh, gauntlet in that shot because I know a lot of people missed it in that shot. But i um, I wonder if it was just the lighting made it look like maybe they were glowing and they really weren't. Like, you know, I would I would imagine that the empty gauntlet would have. Places obviously to set the gems, and the each each place indention in the gauntlet had a color to it. Like, oh, the red one goes yeah. with the red indention, and the purple goes with purple. So maybe that was just
1: kind of like my stereo.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: um, so, uh, I I'd have to go back and look at the picture again. But do you guys just you know having rewatched it, do you have a better take on it than my memory? I-
1: I didn't seek I think you're right. I didn't seek it out too well, and I think it's easily explained one way or another, and I think that's just as plausible though.
0: I mean, if you weren't looking for it, you weren't going to see it.
1: No, it was it was amazingly quick. It, they they didn't even like some of the ones that that just mentioned, they were some quick but sweeping shots that spent spent a reasonable amount of time, a second or two, but still enough that you saw what it was. This was like a split second with a lot of action going on and you really had to freeze frame it. And like like do that frame advance to really see what it was. It's very and, quick, and
2: it's funny because when I re when I rewatched it, I did a lot of you know pausing and free, freeze framing and stuff, and I never actually got a look at it. I mean, I I'm basing everything off of stills and and um, production photos.
1: And It's not even when you think it was. It's not when the frost giants are there. It is in a later scene. Yeah. And there's some more action going on. It might be when Loki is there with uh, Odin. There's only one other scene, I think, in there. And
2: then when the Destroyer comes out for real. I'm looking
0: at a screenshot yeah. right now. I googled and found a screenshot. And uh, all the screenshots are very similar. There appear to be two figures walking from the right to the left, and the gauntlet is in a dark, darkened alcove or something in the back, and it you can see the shape of a hand and you you definitely see some glowing places on the gauntlet um yeah if you don't know what that is you're not gonna you're not going to just have any idea because it's so quick and so hidden it's it's really hard to tell even with these screenshots yeah i agree
1: it you know, it's like there's frost giants in that scene, so it is when that scene is when the frost
0: giants were attacking. Well, yeah, these, like I said,
2: I kind of went through and I didn't catch it.
0: I think these guys look like... I don't know, weren't it the... Who was it in the movie that that broke through and... The, the frost giants. Yeah, that's who they are and this yeah. looked, yeah, in this... Yeah. They're blurry in this screenshot, but...
1: Yeah, but it is quick. It's when they were being attacked. But it is a physical prop. It's not like the cap thing where they... Uh, uh, where they CG to the item later, this was a physical prop that they even had on display at Comic Con. Um, yeah, yeah, and and it's very likely that for the effect that did they, they, they did make them glowing spaces, kind of like you're saying, Brad, where it's uh, uh, to be inserted later. Um, it's very, it's it's unclear where it is, and I don't know if we need to. Yeah. But yeah, it does look like they're they are glowing. And, right. and it could also be possible we've only identified we believe four of them if we we're including loki's yeah. staff um maybe two are already there i don't think so i think could i'm be- trying, i think one is sure to be revealed in doctor strange
2: yeah based on what we know of um at the end of thor the dark world i think there's only one but um but we'll we'll get to that at a at a later time. Um, couple of the other things that I that I noticed. Uh, this one was pretty clear is the orb of Agamotto, not the eye of Agamotto, but the orb. Um, and this is something that is wielded by Doctor Strange. Um, and it locates uh, if it's if it's similar to its Marvel comic counterpart, it locates where magic is or has been used. Um, and and obviously since uh, Asgard and Thor is connected to you know the whole magic of science thing it, it kind of makes sense um and the other thing that that i saw in there was uh what i thought was the eye of agamato which is the actual thing that dr strange wears on his person um and it turns out it's it, this is actually warlock's eye which uh has its origins and roots in the uh in the thor comics uh you know in the in the, in the actual marvel books um, and it has to do with, it has, like, psychic powers or ability to, like, um, control or read minds. Um, and it was cool because one of the things I did notice in watching Thor was it actually moved. Like, as the characters walked across the screen, the little eye thing in the center of it actually followed them. So it was very, you know, obvious that that's, you know, what it was. Um, there's something in there, this, and I think this was just a prop. I don't remember seeing this at all. In the movie, um, it's called possibly that in, in just doing some research on the net, uh, possibly the tablet of life. Um, and that has its roots actually in, in a Spider-Man comic, but it's it's very similar to if you're familiar with the DC universe, the anti-life equation. This is like the would be considered like the life equation. Um, so it's it's just one of those very, very powerful things uh, if that's if that's what it is. Um, and the last thing that we see in the weapons vault is, of course, the Destroyer itself, which, uh, again, has its roots not only in the comics, and it was pretty much spot on. They were able to take a really rudimentary comic design and, and translate that on screen almost perfectly, uh, the way they they rendered that out. Um, and obviously this has, the Destroyer has connections to not only uh, this movie in the comics, but we see... Uh, that Colson, uh, was very fond of the design of the Destroyer and built a gun around it in, uh, the Avengers. And we see the Destroyer gun come, uh, back for a return appearance and the f- season finale of, ep- uh, of s- uh, Season 1 of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, so the Destroyer, uh, m- in one form or another kind of making repeat performances, which I think is cool. I know what it does. <laughs> Um, so that's kind of the weapons vault uh again that I think that's that's been talked about a lot in the last you know several years since the movies come out. Um, uh, Thor makes a makes a comment uh, right before when when they when they actually capture him and and take him to the hospital and not capture him, but when they take him to the hospital uh, and the medics are trying to subdue him and he's he's throwing everybody around. Um, he says, you're no match for the mighty, and then he gets uh, a shot of some sort of uh, sedative in the rear end, uh, which obviously he was going to say the mighty Thor, which is you know kind of his call sign for the comics. Which right. I thought was pretty funny.
1: Yep. And uh, a couple more Easter eggs in here around this time in the movie. Um, not so much connections to the bigger MCU, but just fun Easter eggs to, to fans is, of course, we get to the hammer in the crater, which is – very reminiscent of how we found it uh, at the beginning of uh, Straczynski's run, uh, uh, during and right during when civil war's building up, and Donald Blake finds it and brings Thor back. But not only that, I believe it was Joe Straczynski himself who found the hammer in the movie.
0: Yes, it certainly was, and I yes I can't think of a better person to have done that because his run on Thor when he uh, when they rebooted it was just. Fantastic! It was one of my favorite Thor runs ever, and he wrote it, obviously, and he treated Thor with respect and found a new take on it, which I very much appreciated. So I thought it was neat that they had him uh, discover that hammer. I thought that was very cool.
1: Yeah, and this won't be the last time that they'll include a a creator in a movie, Uh, aside from Stan Lee. I mean, there's another well-loved Thor creator later on in the movie, and of course, Brubaker is in Captain America the Winter Soldier, and Brubaker himself, so... uh, that was yeah, that was very nice to see to see that. Um, and then later on, not long after, as uh, the rest of the uh, the town finds the hammer, there's a whole. They basically set up camp around it. Everybody's trying to, you know, it's basically like, here. Hold my beer and watch this. And they try to uh, move yeah. the hammer. And uh, Stan Lee's there, of course, for his cameo, trying to move it with the truck. Uh, right when Phil Coulson drives up with the scene that we saw in Iron Man, sir, we found it, and that brings Shield involved.
2: Yeah, I mean, slightly different take on that, and obviously because they filmed it so early, but when we see the shot at the end of, of Iron Man 2, there's no there's nobody else there. It's just Coulson, and obviously when uh, when we see the shot in Thor, it's kind of like a circus atmosphere out there by the time Coulson shows up. Um, I liked how they worked Donald Blank
1: into the into the, the movie as well. I don't want to get too—we're getting a little too far into these Easter eggs here uh, considering the premise of the show, but— Including the name Donald Blake in there and have him take Donald Blake as an alias, kind of with the fake ID later, was a nice nod to uh, to that era of
2: Thor's uh, Thor's run. Yes. Then I, I I guess the kind of the next big thing that we have is uh, Selvig being aware of Shield. At at this point, I think Shield is a little more shadowy than uh, than we realize. You know, he mentions that. Uh, he knew a pioneer in gamma radiation and then shield came in and basically kind of scooped him up and obviously uh you know without being said directly that uh, he's referring to uh dr bruce banner yep
1: yeah and be, before that when shield was there and we were interacting with with colson as soon as they identified themselves as shield you know if jane's right in there trying to get her stuff back and and Selvig's immediately like pulling back it's like no jane you don't want any part of this so clearly that's We already know he's got in there. Selvig makes another comment uh, in the finished film where he simply says, um, you know, let me contact one of my colleagues who's had some dealing with these people. In the original script, the line was something like, please let me contact one of my colleagues. Dr. Pym has had some dealings with these people. Um, And I think they decided with the the reference to Banner – uh, there's a little too much name dropping going on, especially for something that may not even bear fruit later on, which it is going to. Obviously, Ant-Man has begun filming. Uh, but yes, Dr. Pym is a reference to Henry Pym, or Hank Pym, uh, the original Ant-Man, who we'll be seeing next summer in, in Ant-Man, played by uh, Michael Douglas. Yes. And her boy Sitwell is there. This is the second time we've seen him. He was, in yeah. the, he was in the consultant before that, but this is the first
2: time he's in the movie. Hydro bastard. Yeah, not the last time we'll see him either. <laughs> nope.
1: But no, he was always I'm fun. Right he was is. always fun, and they they had a good build up to him, and and uh, now he had a he had a he had a uh, a strong finish. Yes. Yes. And Meanwhile, so sitwell's there, and we're interrogating uh, or Thor's doing his infiltration of the of the base, and this is we get our first look at Hawkeye uh interesting thing I've read about this scene is when Clark Gregg was doing his portion of that scene, he was just talking to nobody, which makes sense. I mean the way you cut a movie, you'd never know it, but he was just talking to nobody, maybe there's a you know a grip or a, an a d on the side with, uh, with with the other side of the conversation, but they hadn't even cast Jeremy Renner yet as Hawkeye he just knew he was talking to somebody who was going to have the name Barton and they, was going to, they, they were planting the seed it was later that they, that they cast Jeremy Renner to do his scene I don't even know for sure you know that scene where you see he said I need somebody up high with a gun and he goes for the gun but then goes for the bow in, instead for all I know that wasn't even Jeremy yeah. Renner's hand but I don't know that for sure uh, but he does identify him as yeah. Barton he calls him out as Barton and uh he says you know I need somebody up there with a gun but he grabs a uh grabs a bow and says our first hint that oh is that is that Hawkeye and then of course he names him as Barton and it's like so we we get our first look at Hawkeye in this movie
0: we we actually do see Jeremy yes, Renner yes we
1: ultimately do see Jeremy Renner yeah. in the in the in the uh the the uh the crane yeah um he's there he's talking and already working on his characterization of him with uh you know, he had a couple of good lines in there. He's like, you know, do you want me to shoot him now, or are you going to send more guys for him to beat up? And uh, and then finally, yeah. later on, he's like, you know, you better make a decision because I'm starting to root for this guy.
2: Um, yeah, I thought that was a... I always thought that was a cool line, especially knowing, you know, that they end up, you know, teaming up and basically being yeah. buddies. So that yeah. was that was just kind of cool.
1: Yeah, I, I liked Hawkeye. We'll talk more about the Avengers, but apparently in Avengers 2, he has a lot more to do, which is good.
2: Yay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A couple little, I guess, things about the town. We'll talk a little bit about. Um, Ken, you mentioned earlier when we started the show that uh, New Mexico is considered the land of enchantment, and given that, uh, you know, the hammer and Thor and mythology and kind of all these crazy legends, it it made sense. You know, it it made sense. Um, The uh, there's a place in there called OK Furniture. Uh, and the actual JMS run of Thor that this, this movie is based a lot on uh, was act- actually took place in Oklahoma. It was Broxton, Oklahoma, uh, where, where the hammer landed uh, and Donald Blake finds it. Um, and the local high school team, funny enough, is, is named the Vikings, which I thought was kind of funny.
1: Yep. Uh, another thought I had with the S.H.I.E.L.D. base itself, how many of those were HYDRA? Everything I time I see something with, H- with with S.H.I.E.L.D. now, I think, how many of those are Hydra agents? I mean, obviously, what was there? We know at least one. We know one. Yeah. Um, you know, I look at everything with a little different set of eyes now. It's like, oh, does that explain why this happened that way? And there's a lot in the Avengers yeah. that I now look at differently because of that revelation. Yeah. You know, I, I, want, I really wonder, what what the, in terms of the writing staff, what did they know and when did they know it? You know, when did they decide to go down this route? Was it not until they started phase two? Was it early enough that they could plant seeds in Avengers? And we'll get there too, but it's 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 an interesting way to way to think about a scene with that new information.
2: Yeah. It's kinda like um You know, with the Iron Man movies, you know, once the Tesseract came into play and we saw how it worked and its energy and everything else, and it kind of put a lot of what Stark was doing with the, uh, you know, with his power source in kind of a new light.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
2: A couple other notes I have on on Thor. This is where we first get, and I guess this has become a big uh, topic of debate and maybe argument even. Uh, I think it's going to be a huge factor in how... Fans and people in general look at Doctor Strange, uh, and and that there's there's the discussion of, you know, would you consider magic we call science? Uh, and uh, they mention that a couple times in this movie. Uh, uh, the Red Skull mentions it a couple times in Captain America, and it it's kind of a repeating theme. And and the, you know the goal is just basically that. And I, I guess it's kind of quoting Bradbury. You know, we don't understand it, so we view it as magic, you know, but it's really science. I mean, if you took, you know, somebody from 2,000 years ago and showed them, you know, a computer and a car and, you know, a a rocket or, you know, an airplane and things like that, they would probably consider it magic. Right. Um, but, But yet, you know, that seems silly to us. So obviously these, you know... Beings and creatures that that deal with this technology on a daily basis, they, you know, they don't see it as, as magic at all, but but it can be interpreted that way.
1: Don't f- say, don't forget, in Agents of Shield, uh, they specifically talked about uh, mystics and things like that, and Shield's position is that they don't exist. Um, right, but they started going down that path. Colson's you know, talking about, uh, you know, I, I recently had an encounter with an, an Asgardian who could uh, control men's minds you know, with her voice or however you put it. Uh, so he, we're softening our stance on that, and, and we already know S.H.I.E.L.D. is aware of Stephen Strange. What they know about him, I don't know, but he's been identified in Winter Soldier. So we'll, we'll get a little bit, I think, more down that road with Avengers Age of Ultron, with Scarlet Witch, and what she, her abilities, how they characterize those. Right. And obviously, obviously Stephen Strange, which I'm very, very much looking forward to that.
0: I think an argument could be made that since this movie established that the asgardians were aliens and i think it was pretty clear that that they established them as aliens and not gods um right. that an argument could be made that what thor said about magic versus science was accurate for thor and the asgardians they were actually using science that we don't understand correct now Right. If they were actual gods, then an argument could be made that it was magic. You know, Likewise, Stephen Strange, Doctor Strange, is not an alien. He is a human who knows how to deal in a realm that we don't know how to deal. And, you know, it's not science. It is magic. So there's a line, I think, between... What this movie established and what we're gonna get in uh, Doctor Strange and the Avengers with uh, the Scarlet Witch.
2: I agree. It'll be it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for sure. To see what it, know, uh,
0: I would expect. I would expect like if Thor saw Doctor Strange in action, he would go. You know, normally I would know how that works because to us it's science but i can't explain what he just did you know i could see something like that happening
2: yeah possible i mean or it could be it could be explained away as science you know that some of the amulets he uses and you know it's possible that some of the things he do he does taps into alternate dimensions or um you know just you know things of that nature so it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they how they play it out
0: but, Russell, I want magic in this movie.
2: Magic <laughs> with Doctor
0: Strange. I don't want science. I want magic with Doctor Strange. I think we'll get magic. I think we'll be able to. All right, to. good. Thank you, Ken. You're welcome.
2: <laughs> um, so we know, at least at the end, that, uh, that Jane Foster is working with shields. Or shields. <laughs> Let me start over. We know at the end of the movie that Jane Foster is working with S.H.I.E.L.D., as they kind of hinted out, uh, that Coulson hinted out, that she would be working with S.H.I.E.L.D. She, you know, mentions uh, having the S.H.I.E.L.D. satellite code, so obviously she has uh, more at her disposal. Um, And then when we get to uh, the end credit scene, which I'll I'll just talk about this portion of it real quick before we we elaborate on that some more— Selvig talks about how things have basically changed because of Thor's arrival on Earth. Um, and one of the things he mentioned is the Foster theory, um, which I thought was was interesting. So she has her own, uh, uh, you know, basically her research into, you know, the, the Einstein-Rosen bridge and teleportation and other dimensions and worlds and things like that. Um, she's been able to kind of, uh, you know, an actual theory behind it that's that's become famous so uh, so again I, I think that's interesting yeah. that they're 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 getting deeper into research and and putting down on paper i guess some of the things that they're seeing you know between like the destroyer technology and you know what they you know years ago with what you know hydra did and then you know this this gateway that opens up and when, when we get to avengers i think we can uh, elaborate on that a little further
1: All right a couple of things we saw when um uh... When Loki sent a destroyer down as well, uh, Shields equipment can definitely detect the Bifrost and measure it and see it. They saw the the uh, computer simulation of the Bifrost uh, effect itself. We're going to touch on that again later on in Marvel's Agents of Shield during the episode Yes Men. When Sif comes, they're able to detect that and pinpoint uh, where that happened and track down where where uh, Sif arrives or will arrive. Um, so a little more we we're able to see on there. Another thing was that in the Avengers, this whole attack on New Mexico, as you said, with uh, with Thor, was uh, a catalyst for Shield to um, basically develop their their the weapons that they we will seen in the Avengers, change the way the world sees things, and that's uh, that's not insignificant for some other things that will happen later.
2: Correct. Um. So Was we'll, anything else on Thor? Do we? Yeah, since we mentioned
1: Straczynski, I'll just say we don't forget at the feast, the dinner table. At the very end, we uh, Walt. We definitely see on screen, but also supposedly there, What we don't see here, I think is Louis, Walt and Louise Simonson are at the table in Asgard. So uh, they they gave two other
0: well loved creators of, of
1: Thor comics
0: are included. Yeah, for in those our, that don't know, they had a, a long, tremendous, highly regarded run on that book. Uh, I have
2: the omnibus on my shelf.
0: Did um, did Walt write any of that, or did he just draw it? I,
2: I don't know. He did both. He did he? He did. He both? did both. Okay.
0: Did Walt? He
2: started. He he started, I believe, drawing, and then he took over writing, and then he did both. Um, and then you know, issues here and there, he would either be on break, um, from art and writing, or one or the other.
0: But they Walt and Louise worked on it at the same time.
2: I think she might have been the editor, right? Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, Yeah.
2: I don't believe she yeah, I don't believe she wrote. I think she may have edited. Okay. Um edited. But I think they were both involved
0: they were both involved with it at the same time at one point.
2: Yes. That is true. Now I want to watch Thor again.
0: I gotta watch Thor again. I'm looking at my shelf.
2: Yeah. Uh um uh, so then can I just mention uh, one of
0: my favorite things about this movie was Cat Dennings. She was funny, good comic relief, and I loved the way that she couldn't say Mjolnir, so she called it "Mew-mew." mir "Mew-mew." Yeah, it's Mew, Mew. Mew, Mew. you know, it, great.
1: And it was very obvious though once we got to the big battle, uh she no longer had anything to do cuz she just kind of disappeared.
2: <laughs> yeah. I I thought she was much better in this one than in the se- I in general I like Thor the Dark World better as a movie um and I I'm not real happy with what they did with her character in the second one she I, kind of they didn't ha- they, I don't um, think they knew what to do with her almost became a caricature of herself yeah self. I don't think yeah. they really knew what to do with her yeah She's just kind of there um So of course the the end scene for Thor is uh a a, a tease where Selvig is taken I'm guessing at this point it's probably New Mexico. He's probably, or, or um, out to Project Pegasus. He's probably in the vaults of Project Pegasus. Um, and it's where we first learn that, uh, the Tesseract is in control, uh, Shield is in control of the Tesseract and they want Selvig, uh, to do some research on it. And, uh, so obviously this is a tease not only to Captain America, but a tease to the Avengers as well. And we see that Loki, who disappeared at the end of, of Thor um is not necessarily gone but maybe manipulating uh Dr. Selvig which uh when we get to the Avengers obviously becomes a lot more apparent so I like that tease a lot I really do I mean when he opened that suitcase and I saw that cosmic cube it was just like that was the that that may have been the like my favorite one to that point just because it's like holy crap they're going down that road Agreed All right so next up, Captain America: The First Avenger. A which I must say, until Captain America: The Winter Soldier, this next to the Avengers, this was my favorite Marvel movie. And uh, Winter Soldier bumped it a li- you know, bumped it. But uh, I still I love this movie so much. I mean, I watch this movie and I just have a smile on my face the whole time. It's 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 like the Captain America movie I've wanted my whole life uh, finally came to life and. It just it just makes you feel good. I don't know. It just I, I'm a sucker for World War Two era stuff, and so this just like fits right in my wheelhouse.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't. I mean, with any of these movies, I know some people they they didn't like it or they didn't quite get what they wanted, and that's fine. But I really don't understand how anybody cannot like this movie. They just did such a good job. I thought on this, on this movie, but there are those who don't yeah. like it. So whatever.
0: I was shocked at how much i like this movie mainly because of the world war ii setting i am not a history buff in with by any stretch of the imagination but i love me some superheroes and chris just nailed this performance i had a problem that he wasn't blonde you know that that whole bit but the fanboy thing but he was blonde he wasn't blonde enough but he was definitely a blonde I'm not going to mince words and semantics, but uh, he wasn't—he wasn't Steve Rogers, blonde. Anyways, that's not the point. The point is that they did this movie right, and it, to me, it wasn't silly. It could have been silly, but it just wasn't silly. It was well done, and I, I had a blast with this movie.
1: I remember when people—we really don't want to make a review of the movie—but when people complained when they heard early on. What do you mean he's going to be in the USO first? What's that all about? I don't get that. But it was great the way they worked it all in. Yes. Yes.
2: Yes, yes, yes.
0: And I think they really hooked it. They put the icing on it when they showed him in the present. When they showed him... You know, in 2000, whatever it was at that point. Yeah, they did it. Out in in present day uh, Times Square. It was just, it was nice to say, hey, we want to respect the history, but we realize we got to do, it's got to be in the modern too if we're going to, if we're going to really sell this. So the end was really nice ending for the
1: movie. Yeah, it's a great way to tell the origin story, you know, bookend it with, with the present day stuff, but the rest of it is the Cap origin story. And, and as another complete aside before we get into the connections of this movie, when Marvel made their recent announcement that they're done making origin movies, I started thinking, really, Iron Man and this movie are really the only two true origin story movies. The rest Damn. all pick up, the characters at some point art in their timeline. yeah thor is you know it's it's a specific piece of his journey to get him to be the hero we know him as but i wouldn't necessarily call it an origin story uh, and the rest are already formed characters that we're gonna we're getting to know uh, yeah with pieces of their origin in there so we get a little idea of where they came from but they're again fully formed characters already so uh it was an odd way of putting it but it, hey it's a, hey draw a line of sand no more origin stories got it
2: This one opens up, so it's it's kind of bookended nicely. Uh, You know, we get a bit in the in the present day, and it kind of started off with a pretty serious, uh, you know, tone where you couldn't really tell what was going on. Uh, They're somewhere in the Arctic. We see that you know this wreckage. We see a couple Shield guys go down, and they find a Shield frozen in the uh, in the wreckage, Uh, and obviously it's Captain America, and he says, you know, wake the Colonel. And obviously the references to Fury. I'm assuming at that point. Yeah,
1: so I know they never really identified themselves with Shield, and I don't recall seeing any logos on their their jackets or no, anything like they that. Weren't. They just said, "Are you from the government?" And then they said, at the Colonel." So I thought the same thing. Did they mean Colonel Flir- Colonel Fury? Uh,
2: but I don't know. Yeah, hard to say because I mean he's in everything else. He's referred to as the director. Mm-hmm. Um, he's referred to as Director Fury, not not the Colonel, but. Uh, but obviously, from the comics, we know him as as Colonel Fury, um, and so then we cut away, um, and we come back, like we mentioned in Thor, to uh, the famous town of Tonsberg, Norway, and this time uh, it's 1942, and uh, Ken, yeah, I think you put it in your note, 977 years after the battle with the Frost Giants that we saw in Thor, um, and th- there there's. Some people uh, in this, I don't know if it's a church or some sort of... Could be
1: some kind uh, of, some kind of uh, mausoleum or yeah. church or some kind uh, of holy place, I guess we'll call it.
2: Yes. There's a tomb we there, see, certainly. Yeah. So we see uh, on the wall there's a big wood carving of the the world tree, which... You know, for those that know Thor and, and the in the the Norse mythology, that's you know the World Tree that you know kind of is the mother of the of the nine realms uh, of of Asgard, um, and we see them all on there. You know, again, this town is very tied into the Norse mythology into and to Thor, and it's just it's it's funny how you know these two movies came out several months apart, and it's amazing how connected they they truly were. I mean, I didn't go into Captain America really thinking that it was going to have all of these ties to Thor. Um, and, and you wouldn't really think that, you know, knowing what you know about Captain America.
1: Yeah, I mean, I didn't expect it, this detail. I thought there'd be something considering the end scene in um, that we just talked about in uh, Thor with, with, with the Tesseract. And obviously knowing, the, or as we call it, in the Cosmic Cube uh, right. uh, and its connection with the Red Skull and we knew the Red Skull was in, so like, oh, you know, that's I knew we'd see it in this movie and that in some way it was going to end in, in the hands of the United States or or with S.H.I.E.L.D. And it did. Uh, so I figured it would play a part, but I didn't know. I didn't expect to see this much of a tie with with Thor and Odin and that that part of the mythology.
2: So in comes the Red Skull, and of course he's he knows exactly what he's looking for. Uh, he finds the Cosmic Cube... Uh, and he even says it was the jewel of odin 's treasure room, so at one point it was a very, very important artifact and As we talked about when we we mentioned Thor a little earlier, for whatever reason Odin decided to to put this on earth um and and keep it hidden right. um, but obviously not too hidden
1: there's a nice line in here uh talking about how he's how how uh the red skull' is looking for true objects of power like the tesseract. As the Fuhrer digs for trinkets in the desert, which is clearly a reference to Indiana Jones.
2: Yeah, and uh, so again, getting, getting pretty meta with the connections, um, and I think it even, even became more, uh, a, a much bigger deal. Uh, so one of the connections I have is, uh, is Indiana Jones a part of the Marvel Universe or vice versa? <laughs> um, well, from a certain because,
1: point of view, now it is. Yeah. <laughs> now, now that Disney um, owns
2: both Marvel and Lucas. Lucasfilm. Because, yeah, I mean, Disney owns it lock, stock, and barrel, and, uh, um, you know, uh, Joe Johnston, who is the director of Captain America, the first Avenger, um, was one of the kind of the head guys at ILM, uh, you know, back in the early days when Lucas was making Star Wars, he was, you know, he was, you know, kind of top dog there uh, for for a long time, and so the fact that he directed this movie, uh, he had a lot to do with not only Star Wars, but Indiana Jones, um, just ILM in general uh, I thought that was kind of cool that he added that uh, that little
1: yeah but but as an aside and I don't know this I believe this to be true to agree that that whole idea from Raiders of the Lost Ark with the, with the Führer being uh, with, with Hitler being uh, obsessed with the occult and using it to find uh to, to strengthen his armies I mean that's based in reality in some degree
2: I believe isn't it I mean that, that... um I, I think yeah I do believe that Hitler was interested in the occult, there's a lot of stories of him looking for, like, the Spear of Destiny. Right. And, um, yeah, you know, I don't think he like was that.
1: literally looking for the Ark of the Covenant. I don't mean to say that, but... Uh, no. You know, he was he was certainly uh, aware of consciousness or maybe even tried to utilize that kind of knowledge.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, just th- that whole regime was into doing, you know, crazy things, not only, you know... Right. ...with technology, but with, you know, biology and everything else, so... Uh, not not a stretch, uh, but but anyway, I just you know that that's one of those lines I think most people it completely go over their heads or maybe they make the connection to Indiana Jones, uh, but again because Joe Johnston directed this to me, it was just like that added that extra layer of of depth to it, which I I just you know was one of the two people in the movie theater that probably laughed at that
0: <laughs> at that line. Yeah, that line um, made me so incredibly happy when I heard it.
2: So the next big thing is the Stark Expo, which actually is, I guess, at this point, it's really the World's Fair. It's not really the Stark Expo, but Stark uh, was kind of like uh, almost like a P.T. Barnum at at this point there, where he's kind of showing off, uh, you know, his technology, and we see that he's showing off the uh, the flying car, uh, or what what will maybe one day be the flying car with what he calls gravitic reversion technology, which. I'm assuming maybe like early repulsor technology, you right. know, maybe the first, you know, p- previous to the, obviously to the Tesseract, like a, a, an attempt at, at this type of energy.
1: Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, got the f- car off the off the blocks. And uh, with, we've seen the uh, perfected version of that, obviously, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with, with Lola. Uh, and there was a brief, a quick reference when uh, Fury was having his attack uh, in the Winter Soldier. Uh, it said that his the SUV's flight systems were offline during that attack. So as reference, that it it could have could have done that. So that that's a feature that's in uh, other shield ve- vehicles, but that would have made it too easy for him to escape if they kept that intact. So, but the air conditioning was working.
2: Yeah, that's right. Yes, very important. Uh, the other big this was a big Easter egg that we we knew early, and I I don't know you know how widespread this connection is going to be but we see uh, phineas horton's synthetic man complete inside its its glass container uh which is a reference to marvel comics number one back in in 1941 with the original you know uh, the the jim hammond who was the original human torch was a synthetic a synthetic man so it kind of fits in the timeline and everything so that was kind of cool to see that just kind of in a pan across uh there
1: yeah, it's like that's a that's a, a double Easter egg for me there because not only is it a way to include uh, a piece of Marvel history in there, it's a way to include a reference to at least a Human Torch seeing how has, how Fox has the rights to the Fantastic Four. But let's not forget that Chris Evans' first Marvel yes. movies was as the Human Torch in the
2: Fantastic Four. The other bit, and this is funny, you know, maybe there's a connection to Doctor Who. Uh, is that Jenna Louise Coleman played uh, kind of the gal pal of uh, of Bucky Barnes uh, at the Expo, and so she, <laughs> I just uh, a lot of people have kind of pointed that out after after she was cast as the Doctor's companion, which I thought was just kind of funny. That's funny, uh, especially with the time travel aspect of uh, of Doctor Who, if you're familiar with Doctor Who. So when
1: Steve goes into the recruiting center there at the World's Fair. Um, this time he's identified early by Dr. Erskine, who introduced himself as representing the Strategic, strategic Scientific Reserve, the SSR, which we know will be reformed into S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, led by Agent Carter, uh, Howard Stark, and Colonel Phillips. Of course, we saw that on the Agent Carter one-shot. Um, they talked about it in the episode The Seed, uh, Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and we will learn a lot more about it in the uh, Agent Carter series coming up this, this winter. Yep, indeed. Oh, and of course, in the Winter Soldier, where we saw that original S.H.I.E.L.D. base, and there was the three of them had their portraits
2: on the wall. Yes, yes. Um, our early glimpse at, at Dr. Arnim Zola uh, was him through an, an early version of a TV screen, uh, seeing his face behind there, which I thought was, was really funny, because as we know from the comics, uh, Arnim Zola is basically a, uh, a robot uh, with, with, a, with a TV for a head. So I just thought again they kind of little wink, wink, nod, nod, uh, that we saw that, and then of course in the Winter Soldier this gets taken even further where he's actually uh, inside the computer itself.
1: Yeah, I really hope they continue to run with that. I mean, they he made this, he said that he was being going to be destroyed by that attack, but I I gotta believe he's backed up somewhere and ready to to come back.
2: Yeah, and hopefully Toby Jones will make an appearance or or be cast in the Agent Carter show, which I think would be really cool. Oh, absolutely! Uh, if that happens, that would be very cool. Um, so, we see that obviously the Tesseract is is the main it, kind of the MacGuffin, but the really the the center stage of of Hydra's power and what the Red Skull is trying to do. Um, way back even in 1942, um, Hydra is obviously the the main benefactor of that technology and pushing it, um, and of course knowing what we know, but not at that time we didn't know. That Hydra and Shield will become so intertwined uh, that that they'll basically be the same thing, um, and how that that will corrupt one will corrupt the other. Uh, the other thing that was cool, and I noticed this uh, when when they would fire up the uh, any of the weapons that use this uh, tesseract technology, they all have the wind up sound, just like uh, Tony Stark's Iron Man, uh, his repulsor. Uh, weapons do. Like when he holds out his hand to fire that, they all, ha- it, it, it kind of has that same sound to it that yeah, the, these a... Tesseract weapons do. Uh, so again, it kind of lends more credence to the fact that, you know, basically what this element or whatever it was that Howard was trying to recreate or come close to recreate that Tony ended up fulfilling was this Tesseract, you know, technology or as close, uh, as humans could possibly become to, to manufacturing that. So Camp Lehigh shows up in this. Uh, that that was the main base of operations for Captain America through a lot of the comics, especially when he was based in the U.S. Um, before he kind of got into the uh, into the fight, especially since Captain America appeared in the comics prior to the U.S.'s involvement in World War II. So a lot of those stories took place uh, stateside, and so that was that was kind of a big uh, bone of contention. Um, and we see Camp Lehigh comes into into play. Uh, as this uh, original shield headquarters in the Winter Soldier, and Camp Lehigh was actually a fictitious place. It wasn't. It wasn't a real camp. So it wasn't something they took. You know, a lot of times in the Marvel universe, they take places that are known. You know, New York City, Los Angeles. You know, all the. You know, in the comics, you know, they, they don't really invent too many fictitious cities, um, and and fictitious places. But uh, Camp Lehigh was, was an invention. We see again, kind of one of these things that we see a lot of is the uh, the SSR and Shield using their secret doors. We see we see a lot of that um, in in this as well as you know obviously it came into play in the Winter Soldier uh, pretty big. Uh,
1: yeah, the the uh, when you go in into Brooklyn, going into that little shop, the little front to get down to the uh, to the base where uh, the lab where they do the uh, the experiment uh, is behind the the bookcase, and then of course later on at Back at Camp Lehigh, there's a bookcase or uh, something that then leads down to Armin Zola's area. Uh, so, yeah, they like their secret passages. And I think we saw we must have saw something in uh, some other, It probably in Agents of Shield. We should have saw something else like that, too.
2: Yeah, I think didn't when they went to the, to the Shield base, isn't that how one of the guys was sneaking around uh, the campus or something like that? Wasn't it through some sort of? back yeah, passage I remember or that. something like that. Think, I think I think the uh recall. of course the
1: barbershop that was a, I think it's supposed to be a shield base yes. or was that it was that true yep. true hydro base. I can't remember how they did that. If it was a shield safe house that he he used used or what, but yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh but in that in that lab is we get lots of callbacks to what we saw in the incredible hulk. We saw how a lot of the uh the uh technology was from this era because it was, you know, developed then. So we see I mean I love all these analog controls and the big heavy dial yes. to to control the power things like that. I mean it's very indicative of the of the age. Um one of the things that really stuck with me uh was that he was using Vita rays to uh to engage the uh the serum and I got to wonder is it was. Did they not know to call them gamma rays, and that's really what they were, or were they look was, was was Banner using gamma as a replacement for the Viteray ray or or an analog to it? Uh, definitely going down this the same path. So it was a, it was an interesting connection or thought process to, to get to get through to that.
2: You know, I wonder wonder what yeah. it really was. And we see Stark. One of the things I noticed about Stark, and you know, they always say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, but we see Stark. Even this version of of Stark is not that different from Tony Stark. I mean, he's he's right. all about style. He's all about you know he has that degree of arrogance and and suaveness to him. I like he even shows up, uh you know when they start the experiment and everybody's putting on their goggles and you know getting behind safety glass and stuff like that. And of course, Stark looks like he has his own he's got sunglasses. Uh, you know, basically, yeah, his own yeah his designer uh designer set of sunglasses to right. <laughs> shield his eyes, which I thought was cool.
1: Yeah, so we go through we go through the experiment, and then the, uh, the Hydra attack happens, and as Steve uh, tries to chase the guy down, that, that last vial is destroyed, and they make a big show of taking a lot of his blood, and they say that yeah. that they need his blood to try to reverse engineer the serum, and then the results of that is what we saw in the Incredible Hulk, the serum that they came up with. It's why it wasn't quite perfect.
2: Well, we talked about this in in the last episode in the Hulk, but uh, but the liquid was blue in the Incredible Hulk yeah, too. So yeah, to so they definitely got
1: to... got close to it. Oh, I know. I so said in the Hulk, the the name on there was was youth. So Speculatively, was an alias for uh, it was Doctor Ramstein instead of uh, Erskine. And, and right. I was wondering if in Seven Alias, was it actually that the name of the doctor who did the majority of the work? In the recovery of the serum, because obviously Erskine was dead at that point, so it wasn't clear as to which way it was. So that's how I always took that to be was a uh, uh, it was it was the doctor who continued on the work. But I didn't I looked to see if there was a, a uh, that name in this group, and there and there wasn't. But that doesn't mean anything. It could have been. I mean, it's you know, seventy years have gone by, so who knows what it could have been? Right.
2: I only made that connection because in the comics they've and I think it was just more like the Stan Lee. I forgot what I called this dude kind of thing. Um, Has that but, name been used they before? Refer- yeah, they, they, yeah, oh. they, they referred to him as Reinstein and Erskine uh, to okay. be the same oh, okay, okay. So
1: that name was used before. So you're you're probably more on the mark. Uh,
2: one of the, one things I, I you have in your notes is the the whole Star Spangled Man with a Plan, that whole USO thing, um, and a lot of the images they used on the the promotional materials and you know outside the venues and stuff like that were all used in Colson's deck of trading cards or set of trading cards, right? Uh, That we saw in the Avengers.
1: Yep, yeah, they were all they all came from his USO days. In fact, you saw them. Yeah, absolutely. That was again a nice callback to that piece of it. Uh,
2: Yeah,
1: and and the stark difference between working with uh, uh, an audience that's more twelve versus these you know battle hardened soldiers. Uh, He wasn't prepared for that.
2: No, no, not at all. One of the things, oh, I have in my notes is to get a date down. So, you know, because we always wonder, how long was he actually Captain America? Like, how long, you know, did he operate that way? Did the world know him? How long did he have to make an impact on on people? You know, based on the movie, looking at the newspaper and stuff like that, it looks like the experiment that turned Steve Rogers into Captain America took place on June 22nd of 1943. So, again, well, at at this point, we'd been in the war... A little over a year well about a year and a half because i mean december obviously of 41 by the time we actually started seeing any kind of action uh in in north africa and then into the pacific was you know into 1942 march february march april of 42 and so obviously you know having to go through some sort of process uh to to refine him uh refine the the test subjects and everything else uh so it looks like it, it it was june of 1943 and obviously um we know that VE Day Victory in Europe Day which uh happened pretty directly after after Cap disappears uh you know in the ice was May 8th of 1945 so he he oper- he, he he became Captain America in June of 43 and then obviously you know took a took a dive in you know late April Very early May of 1945. So, a little over, not quite two years where he was Captain America. And I think it was, you know, judging by the fact that it was colder, I'm guessing it was, uh, oh, November of 43 is when he actually went from being a USO kind of stooge and, and poster boy to becoming an actual, you know, you know, functional part of the war. Yeah, so we go from November of 43 up until, you know, late April, early May of 45. So, like I said, about a year and a half he operated, um, okay, you know, as Captain America. And and given, you know, that our involvement in the war, like I said, went from, you know, active involvement, went from 42 to 45. It was, you know, about three years, a little over three years, I guess closer to three and a half. And, in that three and a half years, there are people that we know as, you know, war heroes and big names and, and famous people that we know to this day. So the fact that somebody of his caliber and his theatrical, you know, just just the whole suit in the, the whole nine yards would operate for basically half the time that we were involved actively in the war, um, you know, makes sense that he would be viewed, you know, in the current day as, you know, and, and still revered. Right. Just to okay. give you a little good, little bit of timeline as to when when things were were going on. Very just good.
1: Like, so we think that was late forty three, November ish, because it was well, like you said it was cold, snowy. When he yeah when, when he goes well, actually,
2: in. yeah when when he, when they show him in at the USO in Italy, um, the caption at the bottom says November nineteen forty three. It says oh, okay it um, just wherever, it. yeah it says Italy November nineteen forty three. So. Uh so that that's when it was at.
1: Alright. So um at that point he does his uh one man invasion into uh so it was in Austria, wasn't it?
2: Austria, yeah.
1: yes. So he's free, which, freeing these soldiers and uh a good portion of them will become the Howling Commandos. Which yeah. uh which not which aren't named in the movie but we, they are named that in the winter soldier.
2: Dugan is named. I think he's the only one that really is called out. I, I don't even remember name.
1: his name being called out honestly.
2: Yeah, they mentioned. They say I forget. I think it was at the bar uh Dugan. when they were sitting around drinking, somebody refers to him as Dugan. All right.
1: Now, what would be really cool with this Agent Carter series if you get those guys in there. Yes, that would be cool. So
2: we know we know one of these guys whether it's it's this group or uh, a group that carried on after Steve had disappeared. He um said the original. Howl- marrying- oh, one of the yeah, one of these one of these members will end up marrying Agent Carter. I was going to say,
1: and Trip from Marvel's Agents of Shield, his grandfather was one of the
2: original Howling Commandos. Right, which I'm guessing, and we talked about this before, but I'm guessing is Gabe Jones, uh, who's played by Derek Luke in in the movie, um, being the only African American member of the right commandos it, it kind of it kind of follows suit um but but again that's just a speculation at the at
1: right but i would hope to see these guys in in agent
2: carter um it but, would be nice i mean yeah neil McDonough has done a lot of tv so it wouldn't be a stretch for him to you know make the break from movies to tv and i think even Derek luke i think he's done some tv as well so yeah, it it's would what be a, really cool. it's a
1: 13 episode show right
2: 10 10, Ten no. only eight maybe it's eight. Oh wow it's a short run. It's a very I, short I run. I knew it
1: was short, but I thought he was going to fill a, a bigger gap than that. Um, all right, so as we move on, um he also finds Bucky and he's separate from these other other uh other prisoners and he's being, we find out later was he being experimented on? I mean, I at the time, I honestly didn't think of it that way, although it makes sense. Uh, I just thought he was maybe it was his turn to be interrogated. But but rather he's yeah, um, I- being experimented on, which will allow him to survive the fall, and be able to be you know healed and ultimately become uh, the Winter Soldier.
2: Yeah, I mean, given the pressure that the Red Skull was putting on Zola to push these people, these these captor, these captives, to keep pumping out this this weapon, these weapons and equipment, it probably put a lot of stress on. Uh, Zola to try and find a way to get more out, more work out of him. So maybe it was he, him that was experimenting on, uh, you know, on some of these guys. Maybe trying to recreate what Erskine was doing. Maybe he was involved uh, in in that process somehow, or or kind of studied his work or something like that.
1: Yeah, as I said, the Holland Commandos uh, had their first battle in this escape, and you know they'll be seen pointed out. I mentioned in the Smithsonian exhibit in uh, Agents of Shield, one of them being Tripp's grandfather from American Agents of Shield. Uh, at, Russ, you added a few notes here.
2: Yeah, so when when they all climb, when uh, Dugan and uh, Gabe Jones climb into the that Hydra tank that has the the Tesseract weapon on it, um, Dugan yells out "Wahoo," which is uh, the battle. They use the commandos use that as kind of their battle cry in the comics. So I thought that was kind of cool uh, that they incorporated that. And one of the other things I noticed was, you know, Cap on his on his helmet has kind of that the wings you know I mean in the comics, obviously there are actual wings that stick out of his uh headpiece, but in the in the movies, they kind of went a little more practical and it's an actual helmet um, and the wings are painted on or stenciled on to to the helmet right. the commandos in their in their uniforms actually had them as patches, uh, so on the shoulder uh of, of those guys, I mean I noticed it mainly on Bucky, but he had the little wings on there as as one of the patches, so I guess obviously. Uh, Cap as a leader of the commandos, uh you know, that that was just how they designated that that unit.
1: Right. I noticed Bucky's uh his uniform uh resembled, it wasn't exact, but it had resembled colors and general styling to Bucky's uh typical uniform in the comics as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the blue The, the, blue you know, the jacket were all yeah. Brown. Yeah. Yeah. Sark
1: is experimenting with the uh he the hydro weapons. And uh, he made a comment that I that jumped out at me this last time. He, he said it's alpha beta ray neutral doesn't yes that that says okay alpha beta gamma. So is it you know putting out gamma rays? He doesn't say that. That's just a guess on my part. But that that seemed relevant. Um, and if it is tesseract energy and the tesseract gives off low level gamma, well, it, it probably does then.
2: Uh, I was going to say just like his son, who. Uh, y- has that arrogance quality into it? Stark tried to kind of mess with it, and of course, touched a piece of metal to it, and it ended up knocking him across the room. Kind of similar to when, um, you know, Tony was messing around with the with the repulsor gauntlet. Yeah, um, yeah. And fired it off, and it or the boots, and it knocked him on the other side of the room.
1: Yep. Um. So when when Star or uh, Steve goes down to see Howard about his new uniform. He has a couple of prototypes of a shield. Some of them, remember to me, resembled early Iron Man armors, actually. Yeah. Uh, but he comes up with this uh, vibranium shield, which uh, is completely vibration absorbent. And also the rarest metal on Earth. Uh, it doesn't reference Wakanda at all. No. Uh, but being comic fans, we know it's definitely a connection to uh, Wakanda and the Black Panther. And there's been some stronger hints that that movie may be coming, maybe in Phase 3, maybe later. But uh, just the fact that they mentioned vibranium,
2: vibranium is is very cool, and that was all of it. I mean, he made a point of saying, "Well, why don't yeah, we have more of this?" And he's all like, we got, yeah, that's all we got.
1: <laughs> so we go on through this big montage of all the various battles that's going on in this year and a half. We think it is that Cap is out there trying to clean up, uh, clean up Hydra. Now instead of being these produced uh, propaganda films, it's uh, field uh, film. Then produced in propaganda films with Captain America out in the out in the field. And and a, and a nice little I a nice little grin, smug, you know, amused look on Colonel Phillips' face when he sees Carter's um, picture in Cap's compass as Carter herself just wants to sink into that chair. Yeah. Uh when when, when that's on there. If you have something uh, to say uh, and now's and a good time it, to
2: keep it to yourself.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not even before that, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh he just thought he just thought it was funny, yeah. We get to the attack on the train, which was a uh, cool enough as itself. But just before Bucky uh, takes his takes his dive, uh, he's holding the shield yeah. and trying to hold off, and he can't quite control the blast. But a uh, uh, little foreshadowing, I think. There, I think everybody loved to see that scene.
2: Yeah, well, you know, one of the things this movie did really well, uh, and I actually prefer it to even in the comics, because in the comics, Bucky was kind of like. This crazy 14 year old kid that was running around with a machine gun, uh, following Captain America on missions, and it was kind of ridiculous. Um, and in this, they kind of flipped it around where, you know, Bucky was the guy that Steve looked up to all the time that he was a kid and, and when they were, you know, growing up, and Bucky kind of looked out for him and, you know, helped him out and tried to stick up for him. And the movie really did a really good job in the, in the few scenes that they were in. Of cementing that relationship they have, that brotherly relationship. When he was kind of, you know, dispatched early or in the movie, um, we didn't really get to, to see him too much. Uh, and to me that the payoff came with the Winter Soldier where, you know, you can imagine what kind of an, an impact that would have on Steve knowing, you know, that he's been gone all this time. For him, it's just, you know, a few days or a month or whatever. And, uh, you know, that, that, all of that Bucky's been through and the brainwashing and everything. And he has a chance to, um, you know, to come and help his, you know, friend or try and, you know, get over it. So I just, I really like the relationship that they built in, in this movie. And, and again, like I said, the payoff in the next one. Cool. So after we capture Zola in this scene,
1: um, he ultimately will turn on the red skull, cooperates with the SSR, gives him the idea, uh, the location of this final base. Um, later on, we'll find out he's been recruited by shield as part of operation paperclip. And uh, but it, it, while in Shield, he helps to rebuild Hydra and is uh, pretty pretty directly responsible for Hydra's uh, growth inside Shield. At least I, I wonder, considering we know at the end of Winter the Winter Soldier that Shield is elsewhere. That he's just one of many doing this. Cut off one head, two more shall rise, and sure. all that. Sure, But this is the beginning of that. Right here is when when Phillips uh, gets uh, Zola to to. to to flip on the red skull, uh, it all goes downhill from there. Yeah, but he does identify the base, and and uh, Cap does do his attack on there. And uh my first thing that jumped out again, not a connection to the bigger movies, but if you're gonna make a security wall, don't make it so it's like a ramp <laughs> that a motorcycle can easily jump jump the wall with it. Yes, uh, I, I always shake my head whenever I see that scene. Not a lot of connections in this bigger battle that I that I picked out. Great battle, great scene. A uh, great line from Phillips with his let's go find two more after he kills a guy. Yes, yes. Um, but in, in that in that final battle uh, fight, just a fist fight between the Red Skull and Captain America, uh, the Red Skull picks up the cube, and uh, I, I didn't even know, was it was his bare hand? Because it always seems to be yes. when it's your bare hand. Well, happens. I think he's a, it was he his a glove. Hand. He has a glove
2: on the hand, but yeah. but
1: Well, that's the thing, because Nick Fury will, will grab it, holding his glove, but it's just hot. He doesn't... Right, doesn't do anything. That's why I thought maybe it was his. It was. It was. His, it was his ungloved hand. But either way, it, it engages. It activates the cube, and it creates an effect that we'll see again in the Avengers with the, the 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 beam shooting straight up. But it opens up a portal that you see another group of stars in there. Very not unlike what we saw with the Bifrost through um, seeing seeing a different set of constellations, if you will. And then uh, the red skull looks like he disintegrates, but but I take it to mean he was teleported away, so yeah.
2: he he's out there somewhere. Yeah, because if you look at it, you know it opens that up. We obviously see a different different space, and then they show it kind of like an external shot, and the energy shoots straight up into you know like a, a portal, very similar to how the Bifrost works. Right. So we think this might be the space stone, space stone, Infinity Stone. That's what I'm I'm thinking. You know, j- again, just because they, you know, they need to use it. They, you know, they even mention, you know, dark. You know, we'll, we'll may probably get to this a little more when we get to Avengers here in a minute. But um, th- they mention you know, it being a doorway, um, it being open on one side. You know, the fact that um, it has the ability to get Thor and Loki back to Asgard. Um, you know, dark energy, dark matter, all that kind of stuff. So that that's that's right. what I'm thinking.
1: All right. And so now we kind of just kind of roll our way through the end. Of course, Howard Stark is still trying to find Captain America. He doesn't find him. He does however find the test Tesseract itself. And we knew know he will continue to study it. And then Tony will complete his father's work uh, in Iron Man 2. Um, we won't find uh, Captain America until the present day. Uh, and they do a pretty good job of trying to... Uh, Integrate him into society slowly, uh, except they play a baseball game that he was at when he was still before he was Captain America, because it was from 1941. Right. And uh, but the the female agent who's posing as a nurse, she she calls in a code thirteen, which jumped out at me as a as a possible reference to just a nice little nod to Agent Thirteen, who will be realized in in Winter Soldier. Yeah. Uh, it's case in the present day. We see Nick Fury asleep for seventy years, and uh, the end scene itself for this movie is really more of a trailer for the Avengers. But it's uh, it is the boxing gym scene from uh, from the Avengers with a, with a bigger trailer. And I think at the time it was our first look at really what the Avengers might look like.
2: It was, yeah, it definitely was. Um, I have so, a couple a couple more notes here, real quick on Cap, and then we'll move to the Avengers to to kind of wrap things up. Um, the, the, the wing, the flying wing that they built, um, powered by the Tesseract, um, was called the Valkyrie. Um, and, you know, inside the Valkyrie were all these, uh, other, you know, automated ships or whatever they were that were going to deliver these huge bombs to, uh, all over the United States and the rest of the world, um, as we saw on, on, um, the Red Skull's map, um, But in North mythology, the Valkyrie is the chooser of the slain. So in battle, the Valkyrie would be the one to pick those that would, that the female that they would take to Valhalla, uh, which would, you know, basically they'd be given a a glorious death on battle, and they would wait there until it was, you know, time for Ragnarok to come back. So again, you know, the fact that this is this huge flying machine, um, that would bring, that the, the Red Skull would be in control of to bring, you know, death on selected cities in the United States, uh, was interesting. And it, again, it ties more into this whole North miss N- Norse mythology that the red skull is, uh, you know, buying into, you know, between the cube and him going to Norway and, um, you know, the whole magic science and, and everything else. Um, a couple other things I have, uh, one of them is, is Cap. in the beginning, they threatened to take him to Alamogordo, uh, which during World War II in Alamogordo, New Mexico, they actually built uh, Holloman Air Force Base, uh, which was where the first atomic atomic bomb was tested. So um, obviously they wanted to keep him in a safe place under high security uh, to you know to make sure that uh, he wasn't killed and they would lose you know the only super soldier they had. Uh, so I thought that was right. interesting. Uh, a few historical facts uh, uh, that that I, I looked at. Just again, being a World War II buff, most people will probably not um, pay too much attention to this. But just something that a few things that stuck out to me. When Steve is at the recruiting center at the beginning, uh, guys holding up a newspaper that says uh, Nazis take Zhitomir, um, and that's a pretty accurate uh, uh, description. And the, the Nazis would maintain that portion near the U- near Ukraine until 1943 when the russians were able to retake it so that kind of parallels the events really going on at the time um the the one thing that doesn't really add up um was how far north the u.s and the allies were in italy in november of 43 um the allies didn't even take rome until june of 44 so they wouldn't quite be far enough north um You know, based on looking at the map and everything that the Allies shown to be in November of of 43. Uh, so they were considerably further south into Italy during that time. But again, this is, this is the Marvel universe, not the, not the real universe.
1: Yeah, I think I can live with that one.
2: Yeah, yeah. It just, it's, again, just kind of being a history nerd, I just, it's just something I, I, I kind of, I kind of looked at. Um, the other thing is the 107th, um, was a division from New York uh had a, a bigger role to play in World War I but it was actually broken up um for World War II and reformed as as separate different divisions uh that were incorporated in World War II so there's n- not an official 107th uh infantry division in in World War II um but but again the fact that the 107th was from New York and it kind of played a part being that that's where you know the unit Steve's father was in when he died in World War I um right. etcetera they mentioned uh, the taking of Bolzana in Italy, um, and that is definitely close to the Austrian border, so that kind of jives with uh, them, you know, even if they were a little further north than maybe historically they should have been. Um, that area is definitely close enough to the Austrian border that it would jive with, you know, them uh, making an incursion or that the, the POW is being taken back there to work at this facility because uh, it would have been fairly close. That's your history lesson.
1: All right, is that everything we got for uh, Captain America, the the first Avenger? I think so. All right, before we move on to the Avengers, I do have one question to ask you. Sure. Were you ever going to stop me from calling Betty Ross Betsy Ross last week? Because I can't remember. I lost count how many times I said Betsy Ross when I went back and listened to that episode.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I took it as just one of those things things that's like, I know what you mean.
1: Yeah, I know, but I I, I was just like completely blank on the name, and for some reason it sounded right to me. And yeah, of course, it sounds right; it's the real person. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. All right, so the Avengers. Um, I was watching this one, and I and I honestly was having a little bit of a touch time, a tough time on this because it's like, is it a connection or is it just the movie? Because obviously everything comes together for Phase One of this one movie. Sure. A few things will kick off into uh, Agents of Shield or be called back. Um, but it's like every scene has something in there, so it's like where's the line between just you know the good story and and a true you know connection to something else? So so I did our best, and we've got a few things here. Um, you mentioned Project Pegasus a couple times, yes. Um, and the Shield base we see it early on with the sign. It's a joint project between NASA and Shield. Um, you've got a couple notes on that, I think, here, don't you?
2: Yeah, so the, they have these huge banners up in, down in the basement area where the, the Cosmic Cube is, um, and I did a lot of pausing and writing and, and trying to see if I could if I could figure it out. Um, and so, it, it again, I think when we get to connections and things that they talk about in other movies um, and how this all fits in, um, so the, this, this Project Pegasus, this venture between NASA and S.H.I.E.L.D., which I thought was interesting that they'd, you know, bring a real-world or organization like NASA into it, um, but it's called the Joint Dark Energy Mission. So that's that's kind of the overall name for this project, um, and it had a bunch of different initiatives. And so I kind of wrote wrote all these down because I thought they were kind of interesting. Um, the first one's the Advanced Dark Energy Telescope that they call ADEPT, um, the Cosmic Infiltrate, the Cosmic Inflation Slash Expansion Probe. The Dark Energy Space Telescope, they call it Destiny, and the Supernova Acceleration Probe Lensing, which they call SNAP-L. Uh, so, wow. yeah. So again, a lot of this stuff related to dark energy, to um, you know, exploring the cosmos and dealing with you know supernovas, um, all things that you know when we talk about the tesseract. Um, Loki even mentions later in the Avengers, you know, how much dark energy did the Allfather expend to bring you here? So, and, right. and then he mentions, you know, he needs a Tesseract to get him back to Asgard. So, again, they mentioned dark energy in the same, you know, context that they're talking about the cube and the cube energy. Um, And given what it's able to do, you know, just basically disintegrate matter and things like that. Um, it all kind of seems related. So uh, again, this research all seemed to deal with, um, uh, you know, the, the whole tesseract thing. So everything they're doing in this facility seems to revolve around the tesseract. Even phase two. You know, Fury mentions early on. Uh, they talk about the phase two prototypes, which, um, right. You know, obviously foreshadow on to to further along that. Yeah.
1: so I've got a, I had a theory on that. Yeah. Sure. With with this calling them phase two. Yeah. At the time, it's like, you know, oh, it's Phase 2, it doesn't mean anything. But let's look Let's look at this a little tighter. So the project is Phase 2. What the project is, is they were basically uh, arming weapons with the power of the Tesseract, which is what HYDRA was doing in World War II in Captain America. So was the fact that they did this and called it Phase 2, was that something for us? Was that a foreshadowing clue for the viewer that in Phase 2 of the MCU they would reveal that Hydra has infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean, was that deliberate uh, on their part? Um, I, I, I honestly don't think it was a coincidence.
2: Maybe not. It is all connected.
1: Um, going back to the dark energy question, though, in the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episode with the cellist and the the escapee from the fridge who uh, he can man- manipulate darkness Mm -hmm. didn't he work in a shield lab and something happened and didn't it may not have been this one but wasn't it something related to or something along these kind of lines
2: I believe so I I mean I don't think it was project Pegasus um, no but but I don't like
1: dark something
2: yeah I, I, I don't I'm not I'm not completely sure
1: yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm I kind of want to check it out now. Um... I, I think
2: um, next year when we do the phase two set of episodes, we'll have to include season one of Shield since that's a, technically a part of phase two. Um, right. Maybe we will do a better job of making that connection. So at at one point, we're looking at a a terminal screen, uh, and we see that Barton and Romanoff are fighting side by side, um, and the the dossier the dossier card says Avengers Initiative documents. Um, so, again, early on, uh, Hawkeye and the Black Widow were identified as part of the Avengers. Uh, w- one of the interesting things, uh, and I, I don't know why I didn't catch it. I've, you know I've seen this movie I don't know how many times. Um, and I it, maybe I picked up on it, maybe I didn't. But this time, again, I was digging a little deeper and looking a little closer. Uh, they make mention specifically that the Avengers initiative was scrapped. Um, you know, that, that Tony was consulting at one point. Obviously, we saw that in The Incredible Hulk when he shows up, but at some point that the notion of the Avengers was you know kind of taken off the table or at least tabled um and so obviously it's it's kind of revved up in in a big way I mean one of the um when the facility early on is is imploded uh, after the incident with the cube um, F- F- fury goes to Colson and says you know, talks about the protocols and says, you know, this is considered level 7. And obviously level 7 is a huge clue when we get to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because uh, Coulson famously tells Agent Grant Ward, welcome to level 7. And so, uh, obviously, we we come to know that level 7 refers to the level of agent you are, um, with Fury being the only level 10 agent, uh, Coulson being a level 7 agent, um I believe uh Steve is considered a level 7 um where Yeah, I think we could I
1: think we identify as a level 8. Um the packet that yeah, right. the packet was a level 7 that Steve gave him, so yeah.
2: Right, right. Um and then like Victoria Hand would be like and, and probably Maria Hill would be like level 8 or level 8 9 at, at that point like under the director. Um so again, that's kind of the first notion we get of this whole leveling um for your eyes only kind of thing that uh that Fury ma- makes mention to Colson at the, at the beginning. All right.
1: Dark force is what he was, I think called or manipulating. So right. Not quite the same thing.
2: Right. Yeah. Not quite the same thing. Yeah. Um, we get our first mention of the cellist who uh, will be played by the lovely Amy Acker in agents of shield, which she'll actually become a, a character in the show. Um, and she was kind of, it was almost kind of like you, you, you know, you have the note here, Ken, that it was like a throwaway line. Um, and yeah. something to kind of give us a little more attachment to, uh, to Colson. Yeah.
1: A little more to care
2: about when what happens, happens. Yeah. So I thought that was, that was kind of cool. Um, and it has a huge, huge payoff later on, right? Than, right. Than, than what we saw, uh, in the show.
1: Um, right. Let me, let me pause here real quick. Uh, yep. Before you had the chalice, did you talk about these two? Both these bullets with the the computer screen with Banner and Romanoff yes. and and, and I, his Banner. Okay, I didn't talk I'm about sorry. the Banner thing,
2: but I did talk about the Barton romanoff thing. All right, okay, all right. Let's continue. Uh,
1: yeah, before we get to 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 Coulson and Stark, um, when Romanoff goes after uh, Banner, um, Ruffalo definitely plays Banner off a lot le- differently than Norton did. I thought. I agree. He 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 seen had a different different type of confidence he's still a little bit on edge untrust- untrusting of of shield in particular of of the government, but he's also not twitchy it's like he's 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 in hiding, but he's not on the run and I think there's a there's a difference between the two yes uh, you know so so that that definitely knows that he and then but then when we get him on the carrier later on the healthcare layer, he's uncomfortable because he's like i'm not supposed to be here I'm supposed to be out in my little hole right so uh he he, it's definitely this movie's definitely good
2: in getting him back in the world and uh, you know one of the things that uh black widow tells him right off the bat is look shield's known where you were like you may think you were off the radar and you were hiding or you were uh you know kind of on the lam but we've known where you have been since day one um and you know she even mentions it's been a year since he's had an incident so Obviously, some time has passed between the end of uh, the Incredible Hulk, which we knew know kind of took place around the same time as the end of uh, Iron Man Two, uh, which was so, around
1: the same time as the beginning of Thor. And right. they say Thor happened a year ago, so right. everything happened around the same time. And I kind of misspoke in the last episode. I said they all happened the year they they came out. No, that's not really true. Iron Man and Iron Man Two were within six months of each other, and then of course. Um, Hulk, Thor, and Iron Man 2 all were basically within the same, I don't know, two-week period. Sure. It, it really seems they all happened pretty close together. Yeah. Uh, and then a year passes and we get to the Avengers. Um, uh, but, yeah, so but we ended The Incredible Hulk with him. Being gaining control, meaning he he was able to incite an incident. That's how it ended, if you recall. Right. He was like 30 days without an incident, and then boom, it dropped to zero when he very clearly caused it to happen. Um, So whether or not when she says he hasn't had an incident in over a year, that means he hasn't hulked out or he hasn't lost control. I, took, and I and I'm giving us a, a difference there.
2: Yeah, d- yeah. I almost took it as like they that he hasn't hulked out because uh, she made it seem like they they've been keeping pretty close tabs on him, but just decided not to to get involved. Um, oh but, yeah, I and I think that's how we were meant to see it. But I'm sure.
1: now I'm wondering, well, if he's able to able to control it, is he able to turn and keep control of the Hulk?
2: Oh, that's a good point.
1: I, like because we saw a lot of control in this Hulk in New York yes. when he. Changed uh, when he chose to change. Yes, when he when he when he lost control on the Hell Carrier. No, it was a rampage. Right. No, but the... but when he chose to choose to change into the Hulk, he definitely showed a degree of awareness and control in in the Hulk than we've seen in the Incredible Hulk or, or otherwise.
2: No, that's a good point. That's a very good point.
1: So is that a skill he developed over this year? So that maybe he's churned and and. Kept this cool, so to speak. He was able to. Con- he's able to control it. He's got a lid on it. But granted, when something extraordinary happens, like uh, a flat-out attack, and you're all but knocked unconscious, it, it's a little harder to keep that control. And, and that's what happened. That's how I how I ex- how I look at what happened on the Avengers on the Helicarrier. He he lost control, and it got away from him. Which means he's right. still on edge. He still he still got to he has to keep that lid on it. Yep.
2: Uh. One of the kind of along the same timeline, uh, when back at Stark Tower, we're kind of bouncing around a little bit. But back at Stark Tower, um, Pepper makes mention that she has to go to DC to meet with the zoning committee on the next tower. Um, I'm assuming because there was a shot in the Winter Soldier around it was DC, wasn't it? That where we see. No,
1: no, the Winter Soldier was in New York. The um, Winter Soldier when okay. when they showed the scene, uh, what the to what the Project Insight was targeting. Okay. Um, it was it was definitely New York, gotcha. and now I will say that I uh, I have my digital copy that I got. I I was able to pause it, and that shot showed the same Stark Tower, but this time instead of saying the word Stark, or if you remember at the end of this movie, uh, it's just the A left. He's like, oh, it's Avengers Tower, of course. No, no, it's a proper Avengers logo on ah. that on that tower at the end of the Winter
2: Soldier. But no, it was definitely in New York. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I've only I've only seen it I I only saw it the one time at the theater. I haven't I haven't had a chance to catch it uh, additionally yet, so I I couldn't recall if that's what it was. But um but again, just the fact that they plan on building more of these um which they they Oh yeah, 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 this is definitely a project they want to continue with this with this clean energy. Yeah. We we also get the first mention of a life model decoy where uh Tony's trying to blow off uh Coulson and uh, he says, you've reached the life model decoy of Tony Stark. Um, and so that's caused a lot of speculation uh, on our part, especially when Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. started. Because, or when it was even first announced and we knew that uh, Clark Gregg was going to play Phil Coulson, was uh, they made mention of an LMD in the Avengers. Um, we know that Coulson is going to be in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Does that mean Coulson is a life model decoy? Are they going to incorporate life model decoys? Uh, you know, how's that going to work? um and uh we we found out that uh Colson's definitely not a life model decoy um but that maybe Patton Oswald is a life model decoy because we saw where um he mentioned his brother and his brother looks identical to him so it could be their twins um but I'm leaning towards the l m d but I could be wrong
1: maybe i don't know interesting thing with uh we go back to loki here and he he's this communication channel opens up with i forget i don't know if he had a name that 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 aide that that who basically spoke for Thanos oh he's called the not the tortured one the oh the communicator I'll, I'll he speak it. for Thanos. Yes. I'll All right, you can check that out, but 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 the the stone that's in that scepter started glowing before, right before this this communication commenced. So I wonder if that's another indication of, uh, yes, that it is an Infinity Stone, but which one it is, and we thought maybe it was it was mind or even soul because of how it it it, it uh, affected, um, Barton and, and Selvig and others. Uh, I'm not sure if it's this kind of longer communication but if it's affecting the mind like this it's possible
2: it's it's being used this way I don't know. Yeah, it the only thing so it's the other. That's that's the the character that uh speaks for Thanos, the other.
1: The other, okay?
2: Um who also reappeared in Guardians of the Galaxy and didn't make it very long. Um <laughs> But yeah, that, that that's what throws me off about the Loki thing being the mind gem is, A, it's blue in color, just like the Tesseract is. So you know, one of the things typically that we know of Infinity Gems is they're all different colors. Um, but that's, I mean, at this point, I guess that's kind of semantic. Um, but one of the things they mentioned was Loki's scepter gives off the same ga- or similar gamma signature uh, as the Tesseract.
1: Right. So, yeah, uh, and, and Cap says it's, it acts like a Hydra weapon, and, yes. and Fury blows that off, which which makes sense when you think of a Phase Two. He's like, I don't know about that, but it does. It is powered by the cube, so it's like, is it? I mean, is that a guess? I mean, he states that as a fact, but I don't know if it really was. The um, only other thing, but I'll the s- fact that those readings are similar could just be the fact that it's an Infinity Stone and it's sure. from the origin of the universe, so they have a similar
2: property. No, and that's a good point, and I that's not something I thought of at the time. Uh, the other thing that kind of threw me off a little bit is uh, when Loki would shoot somebody with that scepter. It didn't appear to have the same effect like the tesseract-driven weapons did on people, where it just kind of like disintegrated them um, or disintegrated right. objects. I mean, he, you know, obviously right. he shoots the the you know Quinjet. He shoots the helicopter that that um, that Fury's in. I, I think he even sh- shoots a couple of those shield agents that are in the basement, and they they look to just go down, not yeah. disintegrate.
1: True. I guess we'll find out in a future movie. I think so. So a few other minor things come up around here. Um, Just a question. Have we ever seen a Hellcarrier double up as a a water air, like a regular ship like they did here, based in the water, and then it took off?
2: I don't believe so, because typically in the comics, they're shown as having a very... uh, uh, the bottom Open. portion of it is very yeah. is very tall or deep or whatever you want to call it. Like it's it's, and that's where the bridge and stuff is is below, not not above. Not above, yeah, yeah. So it doesn't really fit. Um,
1: okay, it was just an, it was an interesting way of doing it. No, it's absolutely. It's a very nice scene with uh with with a cap and and, and banner. Uh, of course, we get a reference to the USO cards, and we see them later, but we only hear about them. Uh, and, and and another one being you know my dad was in the Navy, and some of the things I work with now, I noticed the hull number of the of the hell carrier was hull number 64, which if I looked it up, you find out that is the hull number of the USS Constellation, which was a decommissioned aircraft carrier, an aircraft carrier that was decommissioned in 2003. And, and I got really excited with the first trailers for the Winter Soldier came out because you see all these hell carriers with, with these hull numbers on them, and one of them was hull number 65, which is the now uh, decommissioned uh, USS Enterprise. yes. And however, when the movie finally released they did uh change them with the IN one, IN two, IN three for Project Insight. Right. I was a little disappointed by by that actually. But it was cool that they used this Hull four. my my thought was to build these helicopters they were repurposing the hulls of these aircraft carriers, uh and and basically, you know, using them as a as a shell to build up these helicarriers, which I thought would would have been really cool way of doing it. Um just just Neat to see and, and to look at. Uh, in that same trailer, there were said, three hell carriers, and at least two, if not three, um, different hull numbers were uh, visible, and they were all different aircraft carriers. But I, I got a big kick out of seeing number sixty-five because uh, my dad served on that too. Actually, my dad served on that. Uh, this is I point this out because it's it's a mild reference to another Marvel movie. Kind of, he he served on the Enterprise at the uh, Cuba embargo. Oh wow. He 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 was on the bridge as a helmsman, uh, and I mentioned because that was that was a a scene or a location in uh, X the uh, X Men Future First Class.
2: Yeah, so he almost had a front seat to the end of the world, huh?
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yep. So nice little side for me. Uh, Uh, The Bifrost is gone. Yes. Uh, Of course, destroyed in Thor. Um, but they have a quick reference, as you mentioned, using dark energy, which ties back to what they were studying. Maybe um, got it out of the way. Hey, you know, Thor's able to return because the Odin did something. And yes. Away they go. Away they go.
2: They make mention. Thor makes mention when he talks when he's on the Helicarrier and he kind of lets them know what Loki's plan is and says that you know he's got an army of Chitauri and he says they're aliens, not of any world. That he knows of. Uh, And so it kind of, I guess it kind of ties into the fact that, you know, we we know Thor and his, you know, race are aliens and that they have the nine realms, which translate to to pretty much nine worlds, um, you know, and and the world tree. But it sounds like that Thor and, and the Asgard, like that's their radius right you know like they know of the nine realms and these nine nine worlds or nine areas uh you know according to their myths and legends um and it seems like anything outside of that which we know not only from this movie but now from guardians of the galaxy that there are other worlds and other areas out there that that don't translate to the nine realms of asgard that that's pretty much their you know anything outside of that is beyond their area of expertise
1: Right, and, and there's been a question uh, in different medium uh, of this: what the nine realms really are. Are they individual planets of the same galaxy, or is each one its own galaxy? Meaning, Midgard is not only Earth, but or not even our solar system, but all of our galaxy, which would include the Guardians of the Galaxy's uh, worlds. Meaning, Asgard and its world are in another galaxy. Or are they all individual planets, or even individual solar systems, in the same single galaxy? Uh, that's not clear in the movie, and how they're approaching it. Right. Um, but it's but it's possible either way. They could be either one of those. Uh, but but just because they don't know about the Tatari doesn't mean they doesn't mean they know everything about everyone in any one realm. Right. Right. Um, anyone yeah so i i don't know it's 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 a question that's out there they can pick at in a future movie uh or just allows
2: them to have some some wiggle room for later on Uh, the other note i have and this has been a lot a big point of speculation on agents of shield that we've talked about um is the shield logo and so in looking back through these movies and and you know iron man and incredible hulk and when it's showed up in thor it's always been what i call like the bird logo you know the the kind of the big sweeping logo that we know from the comics um and in avengers we get kind of the sleeker angular shield logo um and at the beginning of of the avengers we see the more bird-like logo that's the logo that's at Project Pegasus—that's the logo that's on the vehicles that are associated with that. It isn't until we get to the helicarrier that we see the bird logo. I believe for the first time. I don't think we've seen it prior to that anywhere. Um, the bird or the angular one? I'm sorry, the angular. Uh, sorry. The yeah, angular. yeah, the, the steel or metal version, as they
1: call. It, I've seen it called. Yeah. Um, newer equipment, newer updates. I mean, they're not going to change the paint job on every building when they happen to change the logo out, maybe. um that that facility's probably been there a while
2: maybe the only thing it made me think of is maybe it's anything and we see it on colson's plane um so i wonder if it's maybe the symbol they use for units that are based in the air like or or um you know kind of their equivalent to their like now
1: we we do we do see it in the lobby of the tesseract And the... It's a freestanding statue. Oh, in the type. Winter Soldier. Captain, Winter Soldier. Yeah, yep.
2: yeah. But again, tesser- was, I said that... Tesseract. I said Tesseract. You oh said my tesseract. gosh. I was the. Like, what?
1: Uh, but no. The. But that uh, was a Triskelion. The
2: tris- Triskelion. The Triskelion. But again, the Triskelion was there to build Helicarrier. Build hel- the Helicarrier. The Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe. It's it's a speculation on my point, but just something I was like, wait, the first time we see this is on this, you know, flying thing, so. I think mm-hmm.
1: it's just indicative of the the age of the age of the facility that bears it. It's like, Could oh be. yeah, this was the logo of that time, so it's this one. Now these are newer buildings, this is the logo now. Um uh, we'll see what's in uh in the playground. Yes.
2: In a few in a few weeks. Yes, yes. Um let's see what what do we have next? Um
1: stark made a quick line about that's the guy my dad never shut up about Meaning, of course cap really affected howard and he talked about him a lot Um, yeah Yeah. cap cap breaks into the story we have two things to talk about here Um, yes there's a great note we got from facebook Um, victor victor yes i think his name is yeah he uh he asked us he had a question. He's like, in the Avengers, Stark hacked into SHIELD and said he would know all of their secrets. How did he not discover Hydra? Um, because the writers haven't thought of that yet.
2: Yeah, I mean that's the that's the No, that's the that's the, the, easy, that's the easy, easy, obvious answer, sure.
1: but uh but uh, I'm I'm gonna assume my assumption is he was targeting his search on the Tesseract. And no. trying to find out what was going on.
2: Right, not only that, but obviously Fury didn't know that Hydra had infiltrated. So if that information was available somewhere on a system that Fury had access to, then Fury would know. So the f- fact that Fury didn't know means that information had to pr- it probably wasn't there. The other thing that we know from Agents of Shield is they kept paper physical records of a lot of the shenanigans that were going on. I mean, we saw where they literally took the Yeah, file. but there
1: was enough there was enough electronic that that uh uh Black Widow was able to put it all out on the internet herself uh, pretty quickly. True. So it was definitely there if you're if you were looking for it.
2: But again, they got that information and she also, out of the underground bunker using the nineteen seventies reel to reel tape and old mainframe stuff. Um so uh, well, again, yeah,
1: and she also she also did it from uh, Pierce's console, which probably did have access to the records. She True. She
2: needed. Right, which again was on the, the Lemurian star point is or we can. That, yeah.
1: The point is we can get a lot of ways to spin it. Why they they didn't um, find it. And I think it's. Enough to say that, you know, he didn't for one re- whatever the reason it doesn't really matter. Um, it was compartmentalized enough that he wasn't going to find it unless he was looking for it. And he certainly was not looking for it. Right. Um, but along those lines, uh, when Cap gets enough of his own doubt, he goes off on his own to do some investigating. And he breaks into uh, the storage and finds the Phase 2 weapons. And what he finds is actual original Hydra equipment, a mask and yes. weapons with the Hydra logo on it. And and that just sets him off. And again, that Phase 2, I mean, if these aren't bells and whistles, I mean, they, they make sense why they're there. Everything related to the Tesseract. I mean, S.H.I.E.L.D. did recover the stuff. So, yeah, that's why they'd have it. But now you throw in the fact that Hydra has infiltrated S.H.I.E.L.D., it puts another spin on a lot of this. Right. Uh, I really do believe that at this point they did know where they wanted to go with this. It's not that they didn't know. Um, It's that they were planting these seeds in the Avengers for us to find. Yes. Uh, And again, Thor changed everything uh, when you talk about why they did this, so... So Thor comes, the Destroyer comes, destroys a town in New Mexico. We've got to ramp up so we go to phase. We build phase two. We build these weapons using the tesseract. Now we have the Battle of New York. Well, we're going to come up with Project Insight to uh, take care of these threats before they even happen. We know Hydra creates situations to their end, but they're pretty quick to take advantage of situations that they don't have any control over either.
2: Right. Right.
1: Uh, and, and and I'm sure. There are agents of Hydra in key positions that are suggesting these things or developing these things and approving these things, all the while making SHIELD, the greater organization, think it, it was their idea. Including getting Fury to buy in on them. Yeah. And others.
2: Colson's death. I mean that's Coulson's death, yeah. Not only the spark that really was able to pull the team together, um, and give them a common purpose. I-, I think it was a combination of Coulson's desk, uh, their slight distrust for Fury and what Shield was doing. You know, by by building the weapons, um, you know whether or not Fury put that on board, knowing that, you know, Fury's kind of a master, you know, spy. So. I think he probably knew at some point they were going to figure it out, and if they had something to rally against, that would be he knew they needed something to pull themselves together because they were, you know, these personalities are all over the place. These people aren't really going to get along. So if they had kind of a common thing that they could all, could all side on, um, uh, you know, that was it. So it, it just, I think it was kind of a two prong in this situation where it was the wep- you know, the weapons and the distrust. Uh, coupled with Colson's death, um, who they respected and admired, uh, that really kind of set him off, um, which that in and of itself really sets the main plot point for the majority of the first season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So um, without that, right. I mean, granted, if they wouldn't have killed Colson off, you know, Shield, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. would have just started with Phil Coulson leading this team. Um, but the fact that he died... Um, and the rest of the heroes don't know a that he's alive at this point, um, you know, and and that being a major plot point for um, how he was, uh, you know, brought back to life, and then again it kind of flows into, uh, you know, back into Fury and what he was doing for Fury, and then you know back into Hydra itself. So um, it, it it became a huge plot point uh, in and of itself, but then intertwined with everything going on with Hydra became. Really, this this you know strong ending to season one of Agents of Shield.
1: Right. Agreed.
2: Um. They made mention of Jane Foster. Um, Coulson tells Thor that she's safe. That they have her consulting on some project. I forget where exactly it was, but basically he he got her away so she would she would be safe. So again, they addressed that without you know just kind of like forgetting about her. Um, and I am gonna call it. We talked about this, I'm sure, many times when we did the actual movie review, but, um, I'm gonna call the dude that's playing Galaga, um, as Eric O'Grady, the, uh, who will one day maybe <laughs> become the irredeemable Ant Man. Um, yeah. I have no solid knowledge of that, but just the fact that that's something that Eric O'Grady would do, uh, makes it fit in my mind. So I just, I'm throwing that out there.
1: That would be cool if that happens.
2: Yeah. Um Thanos. I guess the last I, I think we've covered all of our connection points at this yeah. point at this point. So Thanos at the very end. Uh, not the very end, but but at the end. Um right, right. we see the other it, it turns out that who the other was speaking to this whole time uh was in fact Thanos. Um at the beginning of the movie, um he even makes mention that basically they'll give Loki the earth Um, and Loki giving him the Tesseract will give Thanos the universe. Um, and obviously that being a tie into the guardians of the galaxy where Thanos is on this quest to, to grab all the, you know, grab the gems, um, or the other stones and, and rule the universe. Uh, the one thing the other says at the, at the end of that exchange was, you know, he talks about the humans and that they were more formidable than they thought, um, and he kind of warns Thanos that maybe he should stay away, that um, engaging them is to court death. Um, and then Thanos gets a smile on his face. Um, and for those of you that aren't familiar with the comics, um, Thanos pretty much, his motivation to do everything is because he is in love with the female personification of death. And So in the Marvel Universe, death is actually personified. Um, and Thanos, try as he might... Is constantly trying to do do things to earn the favor of death. Um, so the fact that the other says that basically, if he keeps on this thing, he he will court death, um, is just going to embolden Thanos to keep down the path that he's on. So, uh, again, a little bit of a throwaway line, but for those familiar with the Marvel Universe, uh, that that's kind of a big deal. All right. So that pretty
1: much uh, takes us to the end of phase one. Yeah.
2: A lot of connections. And
1: another, another long episode. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a lot there. I mean, we're basically picking apart three movies at a time, so of course they're going to be long. But uh, I had a lot of fun these last couple weeks.
2: Yeah. And I think it, I think and at this it, point, we're the next thing we do will probably be next week, if we could sneak it in, definitely before uh, season two starts, will, will be the Captain America the Winter Soldier commentary uh which will be a lot of fun. And I'm sure we'll probably sneak a news episode in maybe before season 2 starts because I'm sure we've already kind of gotten some news today, yeah. we've gotten little trailers. Uh I didn't think it was important that we talked about it in this episode uh just with all the th- everything we had to talk about. No. Yeah, I
1: definitely uh yeah, the cap commentary. I don't know if we're going to have a chance to get uh like a preview episode just on season 2 to you know again kind of sum up what we know or what we think we know um i unfortunately i already know i'm not going to be on the episode first episode one of season two i won't be around but i will certainly be watching it and be listening and uh hopefully you guys will have it uh posted before i'm on my way back from vacation so i can listen to it on the plane or something <laughs> we should we should uh, but yeah, it's it's going to be a good time. Uh, I am really looking forward to season two and and what's to come. I mean, it's we're gonna go. It sounds like Shield, Carter, Shield, and Daredevil in quick succession to each other. And, so I uh, can't. Little anyway, we have a we have a lot of content coming out yes. to cover over the next year. Between yeah. everything that's coming up for us, it's amazing. Yeah, we'll we're, get. We're gonna be busy.
2: Three TV shows, and two movies in the next year.
1: And maybe, maybe, maybe four TV shows. Maybe I don't four. know. We don't know when Jessica Jones is, is going to come out or not. Coming, going to come out in fifteen or not? Yes. Um, but it's going to be, it's going to be impressive. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. Um, Definitely. So yeah, these are fun. Um, our intention is to do another one of these shows for phase two. I'm thinking in the let's keep the pattern. Uh maybe we should wait until I, Guardians of the Ah, no, we'll already no. have 3. Cap will give us 3. We'll so uh so we'll have Iron Man 3, Thor 2 and Cap Cap 2. will give us three episode three three movies to cover it at once.
2: Yeah. So maybe when there's maybe um, the next hiatus or I figure it's either going to be the, the th- next hiatus yeah. or it'll or it'll be this time next year. You know, where we'll just do phase 2. We'll do we'll do yeah, we'll do phase
1: 2 after after maybe Avengers comes out on, on Blu-ray, we can do them that way. Yeah. Um, well, well, we'll figure it out, but there's still a lot to cover. Um, part of me really wants to do what's available in Phase 2 only because of it's, what it's going to cover in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but we will certainly discuss those as they appear in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes. Uh, I mean, some of it's already been in there, obviously, with Iron Man 3 and Thor 2, but... Uh, we are sure to see more cap and um we don't know for sure, but I think we're definitely gonna see some Guardians references and in, see in, in season two. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh yeah. Yeah. I, I saw something that was not identified as such, but it sure looks like it
2: could be.
0: Huh.
2: Oh, I have one one more thing I, I forgot that I had on my notes. Uh one more quick connection. At the very beginning of the Avengers the thing the cube was in looked very much like a, the, the, uh, uh, the arc reactor that Tony had, like the phase one arc reactor that Tony had in his chest. It was round, had a lot of the copper loop wiring, um, built into it and stuff like that. So if you go back and look at that, when you look at it, like, front on, it, it almost kind of looks like a large version of what Tony cool. had in his chest. Um. Very cool. Anyway. Um. So. Couple of things. I think we're going to have a couple announcements uh, down the road as season two starts. Hopefully, uh, some cool stuff. Um, leave us some iTunes reviews. I'll, I'll cue the sad Hulk music uh, uh, now. But uh, um, we've got a few iTunes reviews. Um, the show's been getting more popular. We're getting a lot more listeners. Um, we've kind of been uh, partnering up and talking about uh, uh, aosfans.com, the Agents of Shield fan site, as well as shieldtv.net. Uh, two great sites to get a, a bunch of shield news. Uh, so, you know, numbers continue to go up. It, it would be great if, if those of you listening can go out and do, uh, go to iTunes and leave us a, a podcast review. Uh, if, if you don't get your uh, podcast through iTunes, you can still, um, go to iTunes and look for It's All Connected or HHWLOD and you'll find the show up. Um, iTunes reviews really help us out. Um, it helps the show get noticed through the iTunes portal. Um, and helps uh, helps more people get exposure to the show if you like what we're doing. Uh, so I greatly appreciate any iTunes reviews. Um, we still have the old email address, so if you want to leave us a message at shieldpodcast at com, uh, we'd be happy to um, to read emails on the air um, or play any voicemails uh, that you can send us to at area code 972 798 3830 and just let them know that you're leaving the voicemail for Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and we'd be happy to play those on the show once things get kicking uh, for Season 2 and you can check out the Facebook page uh, look for It's All Connected on Facebook um, or search out um, the main uh, HHWLOD podcast network page um, and check out HHWLOD.com for all the cool stuff that we have, not just this podcast um, but all the other podcasts Um, we have a lot of coverage on Marvel stuff, just Um, other than this podcast here, as well as just comics and movies in general, um, and other TV stuff. So if you like what we do, please check out the other stuff. Um, So until next time when we will dissect Captain America the Winter Soldier, uh, this is Russ and Ken and Brad, who had to duck out early, unfortunately. Um, We'll see you next time on It's All Connected.
1: Good night.